I was a guest here yesterday as well, and I would, if I had written a feedback, said I felt welcomed and loved yesterday because you are a really fabulous bunch. And I did, yesterday I didn't know who belonged to MFC and who was visitors, but I felt the same when I came in this morning. I feel welcome and loved, and I feel like I'm a bit part of the family, so I'll be back at some point, whether you ask me or not. So, uh, because I've just had a really, really lovely time, and it was just such a lo it's just such a lovely place to be. And I love that song that we just sang. I've not even heard that one before. It's so beautiful. And I love that last line, Jesus strong and kind. And it's like this paradox, isn't it, of Jesus, almighty creator of the universe, you know, you know Lord of heaven and earth, and kind. Like, and these, he holds these two things together so beautifully, which is exactly what I wanted to talk about this morning. So thank you. Who knew? It's like there's a Holy Spirit weaving it all together. It's really, really beautiful. Because I want to talk about, actually, what does it look like to be like Jesus when it comes to our relationships? What does it look like, actually, to hold power, strength, and kindness um, in two hands? I'll have some pictures up there in a minute. But I want us to think about, actually, what does it mean to do relationships just like Jesus? And relationships are hard at the best of times, aren't they? They just are. They're difficult. And just as you think they're working, something happens, and it becomes more difficult all over again. And there's new challenges, and things from our past shape the way that we expect things from other people, the way that we look at other people, the way that we treat other people. But fundamentally, when it all boils down, it is about doing relationships like Jesus, which is such a glib answer, isn't it? It's the answer to everything. If you heard that story, I think everyone's heard the story of how we always think the answer has to be Jesus, and that there was a, you know, a, a Sunday school teacher teaching his class, and he said something along the lines of, you know, what, what is red and it's got a bushy tail? And some kid put his hand up and went, oh, it sounds awfully like a squirrel, sir, but I'm sure the answer's meant to be Jesus. <laughs> and you're like... You know, because actually we just do it. But the reality is that as Christians, as people following Jesus, we're meant to be with him. We talked a bit about that yesterday. We're meant to hang out with him. And the more we hang out with him, the more we become like him. And then the more we start doing things the way that he would do them. It's just the natural progression of spending time with Jesus, becoming more and more like him. I love this quote, actually, that N.T. Wright, who's a real biblical scholar, says, and this is where I'm very much like you, and I also need my glasses to read if it's here, but not to look at you. So if you want to know who God is, he says, look at Jesus. If you want to know what it means to be a human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. If you want to know what grief is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spectator, but you're actually part of the drama which has him as the central character. That's discipleship. That's what following Jesus looks like. Just keep looking at him. And so, <laughs> with that in mind, what does that actually mean? I want to look today at this passage um, in Philippians. And Philippians is a letter written by this amazing church leader, Paul, who traveled around the Mediterranean, which sounds exciting, but wasn't, because he got beaten up and a lot and put in prison and all kinds of things. But he wrote letters to the churches that he'd been planting. And this is one of the letters that he wrote. And he said this. He said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used 
to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross for when he thirsted, all he got given was sour wine. He didn't get given the best. He didn't demand everything. And it's this phrase in particular that I want us to have a bit of a think about. Who in very nature God did not consider equality God with God something to be used to his own advantage. You know, it's an extraordinary thing. I really love it, actually, in this translation. Oh, hang on. Is that the one I wanted? Try again. There we are. It says this. He said, when the time came, this is in the message, he set aside the privileges of deity. And this is God. This is Jesus, maker of the universe, creator of heaven and earth, Lord of lords, king of kings, you know, master of the universe. You know, if he was in a, some kind of Marvel film, he would be the one who could click his fingers and anything could happen. This is him. All that power. All that power. Extraordinary, exceptional power. And yet he chose to lay it all aside to come and walk on earth. But I want us to think about more than just the extraordinary grace that that is, the extraordinary kindness that that is. I want us to think about the role model that that is. Because I think sometimes we can skip over that because it's how we should be with ourselves. You see, here's the thing. When I read this passage years ago, I had this phrase come to my mind. Jesus never played the God card. Now, I don't know if you know what I mean by that. I I think lots of you do because you just went, hmm. Um, which kind of gives it away a little bit. But he never played the God card. Now, I used to be a teacher, and I'd walk into school, and I'd walk into classrooms, and I could play the teacher card because I knew that I could walk into a room and I could tell children what to do. I could tell them to go and get my bag that I'd left in the staff room if I had, which was frequent because I'm a ditz, you know. And I leave things all over the place, as was evidenced just by staying with Nick and Erica over the weekend when I leave bottles at home and books in the car and things, just they're never where they're meant to be. But I was able to use the power that I had, the authority that I had as a teacher to make a class be quiet, to make them do work, to go and run an errand for me. I could do all kinds of things. And we can do that. I mean, we see it with the police. The police are able to use the power that they have to enforce the law. That's how it's used correctly. But we've also seen when it's been used badly. And they've used their power to, to actually harm people or to take people aside. We saw that terrible case in London with Sarah Everard, where a policeman used his power and he used his authority to bring her into a conversation. And after that, he did things no policeman, no person should ever do to her. He abused his power. He used his power to his own advantage. He played the policeman card. I can play the teacher card. I can play the mum card in my own house. I can play the wife card occasionally. (laughs) If you love me, darling. (laughs) Do you love me? Would you make me a cup of tea? I'm just so tired. Could you just? I'd love a biscuit. I can play the wife card really well. You know, we can all play the cards that we've been dealt. Some of us don't think we've got any. I'll come to that a little bit later on. But, uh, but the truth is, Jesus just never played it. We've sung these words in the songs already this morning. Power and majesty, praise to the king. That's my phone pinging. I've just realized how rude. I'm so sorry. Let me turn it off. Um, it's my mum. <laughs> She's played the mum card. 
and everything in me feels like I need to reply. I'm not going to. She, she will quite politely, uh, she'll wait, she'll understand when I explain. Anyway, but you know, she, the, he never did. Well, we sang these so words, didn't we? Power and majesty, praise to the king. But he didn't come in saying, don't you know who I am? That isn't, you never read that in the Gospels. You never read that in the Bible. There's no point in the Bible where Jesus says, do you know who you're talking to? There's no point at which he says, hey, I made you. Could you just give me a little bit of respect? He doesn't do it. He just doesn't do it. You know, yesterday we listened to this. There were two fantastic testimonies, actually. And by lunchtime, Jack, so I'd sat, I don't know, where, I'm sure you're here somewhere, I've seen you, but I don't know where you've gone now, yeah, there. But um, by lunchtime, I said, you know what, all we really needed this morning was Jack. She was grand, she was amazing. But you said something yesterday about submitting and not being afraid to submit to Jesus, but it's because of this. It's because of this thing. Like we, you know, in our lives, we end up submitting to all kinds of people who wield their power over us. Jesus doesn't. Jesus didn't. He never did. He always invited people. You know, in Jeremiah it talks about the fact that God draws us with loving kindness. Not with coercion and control. Not with, do you not know who I am? Not with, I've got all the power in the universe and if you don't do what I ask then this is going to happen. It's always this invitation, this gentle invitation that means that actually submitting to him, choosing to make him Lord is a totally safe, secure decision to make because he never, ever plays that card. He didn't go around feeling entitled to being treated differently. We talked yesterday as well about having a place at the table. We talked about the best place at the table. I talked about the fact that, you know, my brother and I used to fight over who got to sit next to the radio. Well, it was the stove in the kitchen and that we had to have a rotor so we didn't fight because actually it's the best place. But Jesus never came and said, hey, excuse me. I'll take the top of the table, thank you. It wasn't what he did. He didn't do it. In fact, what he actually did was he went round. He was born in a stable. Now, he didn't have a great deal of choice. Well, he did have a choice about that. He's God. We forget that. He did have a choice. He chose to be born into the smallest place. And as he went around, he ate with whoever was there to eat with. He ate whatever he was given. He sat down and did nothing, you know, and it wasn't anybody. He sat and washed his friend's feet. He didn't go, oh, I don't really like this dinner, I'll just magically transform it into something that's a bit more like steak and chips. He just came and gave it all up. And when he talked about what it looked like to lead, he said, you know that the rulers in this world, this is in Mark chapter 10, that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and their officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man, and he's talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he's you know, referring back to almost what Paul is going to write. So he's referring forward, actually, not back. He's referring forwards to what Paul's going to say about him, you know, submitting himself. It's this extraordinary thing. And the truth is that if we're to follow the example of Jesus, like nobody should be lording it over anybody else. We should all be serving one another. And yet that isn't the reality that we see, is it? You see, we've all got power in some shape or form. And again, some of us don't even feel like that could possibly be true. But essentially we do. When you consider that power is the capacity 
to direct or influence the behavior of others or the course of events. We've all got some power. Maybe not in every sphere that we walk into, but everywhere we go, we've all got influence over the people around us. By the things we say, by the things that we don't say, by the things that we do and the things that we don't do, just by showing up sometimes or not showing up. We begin to influence and we begin to change how people are and how people are around us. And Jesus knew his power. He was never in any doubt. He didn't go around, you know, lacking self-esteem. He didn't go around, you know, unsure of his identity. He knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly what he'd got. But he chose how and when to use it. And he never used it to his own advantage. His power wasn't for his benefit. That's the key thing. And in our broken world, with our messy relationships, it's easy not to follow that example because everything in us, everything in us longs to be in control. And there's a reason for that. If we go back to the dawn of time, if we go back to the beginning of the Bible, if we go all the way back to Genesis and learn how God created the world and everything in it, we read this. It's extraordinary. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. It's this incredible privilege of humankind to be made in the image of God. And that means so many things. It means that we're creative like God. God created all of this beauty and it's stunning. And made in his image, we're able to paint and draw and create and build and do extraordinary things and make music. It's just phenomenal what we're able to do because we're made in the image of God. It means so many things. But one of the things that I think we sometimes forget is that it also means that we're powerful. Now, one of the words that's used, actually it isn't used in the Bible, it's used in theology to describe Jesus or to describe God. Jesus and the Holy Spirit all together. And that word is omnipotent. And it means all-powerful, potent, powerful, all-powerful. So God is all-powerful, all the power, anything. Like nothing is beyond him. It's extraordinary. And what that means, if we're made in his image, is that we're like him. We're not the same as him, but we're like him. We're potent. We're not omnipotent. We're not all-powerful. That is not what we're designed to be. But we are designed to have power. We are designed to be powerful because we're like God. And actually, this sentence says, rule over the fish, rule over the birds, do it, do it well. We're designed to do that, but what we're not designed to do is rule over one another. But the problem that sits in humankind, and I think if you go back in history and back in the Bible, back to the next verses that come after this, what we begin to see is the problem of humankind is this desire for more power. We don't want to just be like God. We want to be God. We want to be omnipotent. And you could almost even see that in the, in the story that unfolds in the Garden of Eden as Eve wants the power that goes with all the knowledge on that tree that the one thing she's not allowed to do. It's what goes with that and it's what actually sits at the heart of everything that has gone wrong ever since is this desire to have more power, more control, because we think it'll make us feel safer. We think it'll make us feel better. We think that if we can just be in charge of this and just better than that person and just have this person do what we want, 
then actually our world will become safer and tighter. And the truth is, it's empty. You know, all around us, we can see it happening on ma like massive great levels. I mean, what is going on in Ukraine at the moment? It's so easy to see. Putin, desperate for more power, desperate that somebody might take away some of his power. Terrified, actually. He is not a happy man. He, he is not a happy man. And he thinks that the answer to his unhappiness is to take more power and show more might and show everybody just how strong he is and dare anybody to go against that. And I believe he's just becoming a sadder and more frightened man at the same time as destroying the lives of so many people around the world, actually. Like the ripple effects of that of everywhere. It's extraordinary. The power that one person can wield over so many others. It's terrifying. And then we see it in our own government at the moment that is all over the place, isn't it? And I don't know about you. I used to be a history teacher, so I do like following politics, economics, to the degree that I understand them. But you watch it, and you just think, sometimes I just watch it on the news, though, and I think, could you not all just have a sensible conversation? <laughs> Jean, like, you're just... It, Everyone is determined to tear the other person down. It doesn't even matter if they said something that's good. They've got to find a reason why there's something bad that goes along with it. And you're like, can you not just stop? Put, just put some sensible people in charge for a while. Leave them to make some good decisions. I don't want that. I don't want those decisions. What a, what a horrible job they've got. They're, but they're all actually just clawing for power, clawing for significance, clawing for control. And we see it on that level. And then we see it in smaller levels. Do we see it in the school playgrounds and in the classroom? We see it in the bullying that goes on. We see it in the friendships where, you know, if one person has a bit more than the other, the other ones are jealous. And we see it in our relationships at home. We see it in our relationships at home where actually we forget that love is about building the other person up and actually become much more focused on building ourselves up. I had a really interesting conversation. It was a couple of years ago now. I work for a charity um, that is equipping the church to stand against domestic abuse. And I was doing a podcast in the first lockdown because during the lockdowns, we saw domestic abuse just escalate. And, it, you know, it was always there, but it just got so much worse because the doors were so locked now, so closed. And uh, I, I was doing a podcast with a church, and, it, and I quite quickly realized that I probably wasn't on quite the same theological page around men and women as they were quite quickly. But we had really good conversation. But towards the end, one man asked me, he said, Becca, you know, and he was, he was so genuine and he was so trying to get to the right, you know, to a good answer. And he said, you know, Becca, I, what I don't understand is when does good control of your wife become bad control? Where's the line? And I had one of those moments where I thought, oh, Jesus, help me have a good answer. I don't know. <laughs> and he did. And I just sat and I said, you know, the fruit of the spirit is self-control. It's the only kind of control we were ever meant to have. It's not other control. It's not taking care of other people. I, you know, that was totally a God moment because I had not even thought of it before. But thank you, Jesus. But it was a good answer. Fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, joy, all of those things, self-control, comes right there towards the end. But it's so crucial. We're not ever, ever meant to control other people. We were only ever meant to control ourselves. And yet so often... So often, actually, we do.
because it's how we think we can make our world feel secure. Because if we're in control, I'm a complete control freak. I like to know what's happening with our bank type things. I like to know what the kids are doing. Because if, if all that's around, I feel like I'm in control of my life. What a joke. There's anything this last two years has taught us is we're in control of nothing. But we definitely aren't in control of other people. It's not our job. It's not where we're meant to be. But that doesn't mean that you give up the power. Jesus didn't just go, oh, well, I'll just go down to earth and do nothing. He knew his power, and he used it. And he used it extraordinarily. I mean, even when you think of that story where he turned water into wine. Now, on one hand, it might just be that he wanted the party to continue. But actually, in that story, his, the, the motivation behind what he did when he chose to reveal just a little bit of the power that he has, the motivation was not wanting the host of the wedding to be shamed. Yeah. It was not wanting them to be hurt by what happened. He did it in compassion for other people, not so he could sit in the corner and live it up. And he didn't really want anybody to know. Don't tell anybody what happened here. But he did use it. He didn't pretend he didn't have it. He didn't let things fall apart around him because he wasn't going to use it. He used it wisely. And it's important that we do recognize the power and the privilege is sometimes the word that gets bandied around nowadays as well. But to recognize what we've got. And it comes in so many shapes and forms. You know, sometimes it's about our language. You know, yesterday, where I was sitting, behind me, I could hear somebody all day long translating. It was beautiful. I thought, how, what a generosity to sit all through a lady's day that you've come to as a guest yourself and just keep giving to the person next to you. What a gift to go, I've got this. Like in this country, to be able to speak English language, it's a gift. And it gives you power with people who don't have that. You can tell them anything at that point, couldn't you? We use it wisely. You know, it's about our nationality, being born into a country that automatically gives us some level of power over other people. The skills and the experience that we've got, the positions of authority that we've got, whether that's a teacher, a church leader, a policeman, or a parent, School prefect, doesn't matter what it is. Those positions give us power. You know, it's all situationally dependent as well, isn't it? You know, age can sometimes be a benefit and other times it feels like it isn't. Sometimes I can be in control. I was the oldest sibling. I wielded that poorly many times, I can tell you. I remember one time, actually, my brother was annoying. And um, many times. But at one stage... We'd just had, I, I'm old enough that having a video recorder was a very exciting thing. It was a very, very big deal. And it had a remote control. <laughs> and I convinced my brother that I could pause him. And I convinced him that I could turn him off if necessary. Which was really, that's bad, bad, bad. Like, don't do that. But it was funny. <laughs> and uh, he swiftly got a little bit older and realized it didn't work like that. And then, you know. That stopped. And then he got taller than me, and then I stopped it altogether at that point. That kind of behavior ceased to exist. But, um, you know, we, we all have it, and it changes, and it moves, and it fluctuates, and in different relationships we'll have power, and in other ones we'll have more and less. But actually recognizing that we've got it really does make a difference. And it's easy to make some mistakes. I've got some easy mistakes up there that, are, uh, that we can make. So the first mistake that we can make is thinking we have no power. Like, and I know there are people in this room who are sat there going, but I really don't. You don't understand, Becca. All my life, people have used me and abused me, and now I feel so weak and so little and so small. I know. I know that's how you feel. God knows that's how you feel. 
that you are created in his image. You are created in his image. And whether you know you have that power in you, whether you feel like you've had it taken away from you, it's still there. And actually finding those moments when your smile, your kindness, your remembering somebody's name makes somebody's day, that time when you can step in and make something, like recognizing that that's there and then beginning to step into the reality of it a step at a time, because it can be frightening, is so important. It's important to remember what you've got. Not recognizing when power is at play in your relationship. Like, this is so easy to do. Well, I used to work on a church leadership team and uh, there was a girl in our youth group who was friends with one of my daughters. She was a couple of years older, but they'd become friends. And she came from a really difficult background. She was not a happy, you know, she'd had such an unhappy um, childhood. And she spent a lot of time in our house, hung out, lived there at various points. Um, and we loved her very, very much. And then one summer, um, I got asked by some friends of mine if, if I knew anybody who'd like to come along and be a leader at a camp that they were running for kids, Scripps Union Camp. And I thought, gosh, wouldn't that be brilliant for Lucy? She'd love that. It would be awesome. So I said, Lucy, there's this amazing opportunity. I think you'd love it. I think it would do you the world of good. You've got leadership in you. And I built it up and I did this. And she went on camp and she loathed it. She hated camping. She was frightened. She had panic attacks. And actually, in that moment, all my motivation was really good. But what I forgot was that I wasn't somebody she knew how to say no to. She didn't know how to say no, and I hadn't permissioned her. Now, in my head, she was allowed to say no to me. I didn't want her to do everything I said. I was just coming up with a nice, exciting opportunity. But I forgot that because of where she'd come from, because of where she hadn't got to yet in her own strength and self-esteem and all the rest of it, she didn't know how to go, but Becca, I really hate camping. Like, she didn't know how to say it to me. And when she came back, and I was like, oh, Lou, I am so sorry. I should have thought. I should have, I should have, asked. I should have asked. Hey, how do you feel about camping? How do you feel about going and working with a whole bunch of kids? Not. There's this great opportunity for you. You will love it. I told her. I, compl- I, didn't, I wasn't trying to be controlling, but by accident, I absolutely was. It's so easy. And then we disempower people without even realizing it. And we can underuse the power that we have as well. And I'll, I've done this as well. I'll just tell you all my sad stories. How I bullied my brother, emotionally manipulated my husband, you know, send poor Lucy on a camp she doesn't want to go on. Don't be like me. Be like Jesus. But there was a time, a number, this was a long time ago now, and I was to go with a group of, I used to be a teacher, I've done every job under the sun, used to be a teacher, and I was going with a whole bunch of children, and we were traveling to India to work with a school in India, and one of the kids coming with us was diabetic, and um, we'd been really assured by her parents that she knew how to manage her blood sugar, she knew how to manage her insulin, and that everything would be fine. We were doing three flights, it was the most horrifically horrible journey with lots of layovers, but sleeping on airport floors. And on one of those airport floors, this girl went to sleep and didn't wake up. And it was terrifying. And we managed to get some sugar gel into her gums, and she kind of came around a little bit, but she was incoherent. And we just couldn't get any further. And the guy who was actually leading the group at this point said, well, we'll just get one one of us either side of her, and we'll get her onto the plane, and we'll get her onto where we're going, and we'll trust in God. And something, everything suddenly went, that is a really bad idea. And the backstory to that is I used to live in Kenya and I taught in the school. So I was quite used to 
having to deal in foreign countries with hospitals and things. And I started to think, no, you should go on, but, and I could stay behind with her, and I'm not afraid to take her to hospital and manage all of that by myself. I could do that. But then this other voice in my head started saying, Becca, it's not your place to make these decisions. You're not the leader of the group. This guy already thinks you're a bit of a control freak, so don't prove him right. Just keep your mouth shut. And I sat there, and I watched this girl, and I tried to help, and we did what we could, until in the end I got brave enough to say, we can't put her on a plane. We need to take her to hospital, and it should be me who goes with her, because I'm not scared of these. I'm not scared in this country. I can do this, and actually I'm the least important person as you move on, so you don't need me. You can leave me behind. And it was an extraordinary moment. And had I not have spoken up, I don't know quite what would have happened to that girl, actually. But what was even more extraordinary was that when I, you know, she kept, we got to hospital, they managed to bring her around completely, and, and everything began to be okay. And I got to the point where I actually phoned home and I spoke to my husband, and I said, just so you know, <laughs> I'm not where I'm meant to be. I'm in some other city somewhere. And, he, and I told him the story, and he said, what time did that happen last night? And I said, oh, and we worked out the time difference. And he said, you know what? He said, I woke up. And my husband doesn't wake up, and he's not usually very helpful in the middle of the night at all. But he said, I woke up, and I knew I had to pray for you. He said, I knew I had to pray for you. I didn't understand what I was praying for, but I was praying that you'd be bold. Wow. Wasn't that incredible? I've never had a story like that any other time in my life. But I just sat and I thought, I was sat there. And in that moment, I didn't know how to use the power that God had given me. Because I was afraid of using it. I was afraid of what people would think. I was afraid of stepping into it. I was afraid of people thinking I was being bossy. But actually, in that moment, God was asking me to speak up for this girl because I knew how. And I needed to do it. And I got there eventually because my husband woke up in the middle of the night and prayed for me and called in God's angels to give me a kick up the bottom and get going. He didn't ask quite what he was doing, but it's what happened. It's extraordinary. Our power matters. We're born to have it. We're born to use it. And we need to do that. I'm going to jump through a little bit, actually. No, I'm not. I'm going to do this next bit because I do like it. I've just realized I've taught loads. That's because you told me I could just go. I have. Paul goes on. And he continues talking, and he says this. He says, therefore, dear friends, as you've always obeyed, oh, that's the wrong glasses, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. And I just want to talk about this really briefly, because I think when it comes to power and when it comes to relationships, this bit matters, actually. And it's about understanding that bit about self-control. What am I in charge of and what am I not? What am I meant to carry for myself? What am I not? What does this look like? Because this is also where relationships go wrong. And I like to, there's a fantastic book out there called Boundaries, written by two brilliant Christian psychologists, Cloud and Townsend. They're awesome. Buy the book. It's excellent. But for now, they talk about it like this. They talk about knowing what's in your backpack. I went on a holiday this summer with my children. And it was the first, we'd gone to the mountains. And uh, it was the first time, now that they're adults, that I didn't have to carry everybody's picnic, everybody's water, everybody's everything. I was like, I love this. You are all big enough now to carry your own backpacks with your own water, which is heavy, your own picnic. I don't have to do all of this anymore. But when they were little, I did. When they were little, that wasn't important. They couldn't carry it up the mountain. I needed to do that for them. But the whole point of parenting is to raise our children to be able to do things for themselves do not need us to answer all that, those questions anymore. I'm in that weird stage of children who are just flying the nest. So they still keep coming back, and they still keep having questions. And I'm having to try and remember, no, I need to push this back to you now. You're big girls. You're big girls. What do you think you should do? 
I can encourage them, I can help them when they get stuck, but actually it's time for me to let go and let them begin to fly. And there's things that we carry in our backpack, our kind of imaginary, emotional, whatever it is, personal backpack, that are only our responsibility. They're not anybody else's. Now, if somebody walks up the mountain and breaks their leg, we carry their backpack for them for, until their leg is fixed. Like, there are crises, moments when we step in and we do things. But generally speaking, there are things in our backpack that are our responsibility and not anybody else's, which means I'm not responsible for yours either. And one of those is our spiritual growth. Like, I'm the only person responsible for my spiritual growth. If I come to church and moan that the teaching wasn't good enough, huh? that's just got me out of that one. <laughs> Or that this isn't good enough. Oh, yeah, my, I'm going backwards in my spirituality. It's all your fault. No, it's not. That's on, that's, that's on you. You get to choose how to put things in your life that filled you. You know, career progression, that's another one. Actually, this is our job. You know, if I want to get the grades at school, for example, then actually I've got to do the work. Nobody else can do it for me. I had a lovely conversation with Nick, you know, talking about, you know, you can have a really difficult classroom, but if a kid chooses to get on with it, they can succeed regardless of what's going on around them. Easier said than done for lots of us. Our emotional well-being. Like, we can hang out loads of support. It's really important to be together. But fundamentally, at the end of the day, these things are in our backpack. Self-care, family responsibilities. All those things are ours to take responsibility for, not to try and give to other people and make them responsible. It goes wrong in relationships so often when we make somebody else responsible for our happiness for our well-being. doesn't mean people shouldn't treat us well, because they should, and we should treat them well. But fundamentally, understanding that, and understanding when actually beginning to recognize when somebody's trying to give you responsibility for things that are meant to be theirs. And actually, I, I'm a great one for picking up all those. Go, oh, I'll carry it, I'll carry it, I'll carry it. And actually, I've, I've started to learn to go, no. Actually, I'll chat with you about that. I'll help you work it out. But fundamentally, it's yours. That one's yours to carry for now. Crisis, different. But we've got to be careful. So I'm going to finish there. But I wanted to finish. I'm going to finish. I'm going to leave you for a couple of minutes with this reflection to think about. Because it's really easy to hear all of this and then leave at the end and it all goes out the window. But just for a minute, let's just take a time to just be with God in the moment, actually. You might want to close your eyes. I just want to breathe in for a minute. If you, breathe, if you close your eyes, you can't see this, so I'll read it. Um, I'll do that. But let's just, in, and then I'll finish and I'll pray. But let's just invite God to, he is with us, but let's just acknowledge God's presence around us for a minute. And maybe invite him to show you what power and privilege do you hold in your hands, made in the image of God, that perhaps you've not ever recognized. And then just think, are there some relationships where you've tried to carry too much for people or too little? Or too little of your own? Try to make somebody else responsible for things that are yours.
Perhaps you might recognize some relationships where people are asking you to take their load and it feels too heavy because actually it's not your load to carry for them. And then let's just take a moment to ask God, is there anywhere in any of these relationships where I need to do something to redress the balance? set it straight. What's within my power to be able to do better? Can't change the people around us. That's not our responsibility. But is there something that we can do to redress the balance where we need to? Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to speak to our hearts, to in your strong and gentle way nudge us to recognize those areas where actually we do use the power that we've got in your image. And we do sometimes use it a little bit to our advantage, or actually not even for our advantage. We are motivated by such good things, and yet we disempower those around us by accident. Help us to see that, Lord Jesus. Help us to have ears that are ready to hear, hearts that are ready to be humble, that are ready to say sorry and try a different way. Father, help us to focus on self-control, not other control. Help us, Lord Jesus, to become more and more and more like you. More and more like you, who made yourself nothing, who took the very nature of a servant, who made yourself in human likeness, and humbled yourself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. But Jesus, we recognize that God has exalted you to the highest place and has given you the name that is above every name, and that at your name every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen.